Welcome to Out of the Arts with Beth and Amy. We will help you bridge the gap between an arts career and a career outside the arts industry. Join us today for a chat with Claire Friday. Claire is a producer, a writer, and the marketing and production director of Done by Friday. She is a corporate event producer, a TEDx speaker, and all-around storyteller with a background in, you guessed it, stage management and theater production. Claire has spent her entire career bringing her love for artistic storytelling, collaboration, and creative problem-solving to life, both in and out of the performing arts world. She attributes her exuberance and skills to her theater background, and we cannot wait for you to hear what she has to say about it. Make sure to come join the conversation at outofthearts.com or follow us on social media at Out of the Arts for more resources and support. How's it going? Good. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to chat with you guys. To get started, just for the audience, because they don't know this, we actually have a mutual friend. Me and Claire got set up, I guess, as a friend date by a mutual friend. We both went to Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, and... Go fighting Illini. Have to do a shout for the Illini. Yes. We We just happened to miss each other, so we are now making a new friendship. Claire, give us some background. You went to Illinois. What is your background with theater, and how did you get started in all this? So I... Actually, if we're going to go way back, I started as a dancer, and my intro to the arts was through dance. When I was very, very little, I mean, I was very fortunate to have grown up in a household where art and music was important to my parents, and that's kind of how I got into appreciating the performing arts, art, and music in general, was through my mother and father. And when I was young, I, I immediately glommed on to dancing because I went to the ballet a lot. That My parents were very smart and they took me to the Nutcracker when I was, you know, could barely walk. And that was kind of the light bulb that went on when I was very, very young on what I really wanted to surround myself with in my life. And that was the performing arts and dance. I actually was a competitive Irish dancer for 10 years, if, if no one knew that, <laughs> listening to this. And I basically thought I was going to do that. I thought that was it. I thought I was going to join a troupe. I thought I was going to be on tour. I, I came in as a performer, so I basically went to school for theater thinking I was going to be on a stage instead of being behind the scenes. And then through my training in theater, I decided that I wanted to be backstage because I felt like that was where I was needed and where my skills could really enhance theater and how I could use my skills to best work in the arts. So I came in as a performer and now I'm an event producer and production has been my life for 18 years. So that's how I got into the educational side. And then I I basically went from a a BA to an MFA, taking a year off and going to work, going to stage manage for a year and then going into my MFA. I cannot believe I did not know that you were a dancer first. Yeah. It's, it's, it, nobody, nobody really knows that until I sit there and tell them they go, you went, you were a performer. And I go, yeah, that was, 
that was it. So yeah, it was a very wonderful 10 years of my life. And I, when the, the thing about Irish dancing that's different than any other form of dance is that it, it's so specific and it's very technical and it's like, it's like figure skating, basically. It's like figure skating and it's, it's very culturally beautiful in that it, I, I have a big respect for the Irish culture and the Irish community and everybody in Ireland is, is amazing. And I think Irish dancing made me appreciate other cultures. And that was a, you know, that was a really good tool for me to use going into the arts because I got that exposure and I wish more young people had that exposure, you know, doing something that's not necessarily the normal way of getting into something. And Irish dancing was that for me. And it still is. It's it's still very close to my heart. It really is that I will watch videos and, and just gush over people dancing. Do you still dance? When no one's watching. Every, every now and then I get the shoes out and do a little 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 something and see how how rusty I am, but not to the level that I used to. Yeah, that makes sense. And so you got into stage management, you got your MFA, and you now live in outside Vegas, right? Yeah, I live in Henderson. I'm coming to you from my home office. But yeah, I moved to Las Vegas three and a half years ago from Los Angeles. I grew up a California girl. And I when I went to Illinois for three years, I knew I was going to go there. I almost moved to Chicago. I was very, very, very close to moving to Chicago. It was between a job offer in Los Angeles and a job in Chicago. And the one in LA went first. That was LA Opera. So I said, all right, I'm going to LA. And then three and a half years ago, I had I decided I had enough of California and I wanted to move to Las Vegas because of the events industry and the hospitality industry. So now I reside in Las Vegas. I think when you, and you two have experienced this too, I think, I think when a place feels like home, you know it, this feels like home. Las Vegas feels like home. And, and I think especially during the COVID year that we just had or are still going through a lot of people ask me they said are you going to are you going to leave because the convention industry is so dry here right now with everything going on but i said no i said this is home this is this is not my family lives here my mom and dad and my aunt and uncle live out here now so i have family in town and i have friends here who are really lifelong friends who i will who literally will be around They'll be in my wedding. They'll be, you know, they're, they're people who are very dear to me. And, and leaving this town is just not something that feels right at the moment. And really, I feel a connection to the industry here. I think even more so than Los Angeles, to be honest with you, to the event industry. I feel more connected on an emotional level here because people people love what they do out here. They love to entertain groups they love to put on a show they love experiences and that's that's what I'm about I mean having an arts background that's what you love about it tell me a little bit about you're now doing event planning but one of your biggest things that you've done in the recent past is a TED talk right so how did you end up going from event planning to TED talk and and tell us how you kind of got in that door yeah so I I was never a good writer 
let me just start out by saying that I was never, when I was in high school and college, I was a terrible writer. And I, I apologize to all the professors that are listening to this right now because it's not you, it's me. <laughs> I was a lousy writer. And my mother used to read, my parents are in, were, were in advertising and they were both, my parents are both brilliant writers. And they would read my papers and they'd say, Claire, you need to go back and completely rewrite like half of this. And I would get frustrated and think, I can't do this. I can't, I'm, not, I'm not a good writer. And as I kept, you know, going in my career and speaking in front of people, because obviously in performing arts, if you're a stage manager and in production, you have to lead meetings. You have to lead production meetings. You've got to talk. To, you have to get out of your comfort zone when you're in production, because you can't sit there and act like you don't have a plan because everybody looks to you and they expect you to have the plan. They expect you to have the answers. They expect you to stand up and say, all right, now we're going to go on a tour of this space and I'm going to tell you where everything is going to be placed. And I'm going to tell you that as if I'm reciting a speech to you because it has to be so very specific, right? So, and everybody out there who's a stage manager in production listening to this knows exactly what I'm talking about. Yes, I just want to like pop in there and say, I, I want to call attention to this because this is so important that so many people I think outside of the industry assume that behind the scenes means like shy or taking a back seat or something like that. Working behind the scenes is very much its own job and its own passion and requires leadership skills, requires leadership skills. Don't let anyone fool you. So I just want to like, that's so that's something really important to call attention to, I think. Yeah, yeah. It's and it and it's funny. I I was just writing this in an email to somebody that that you have to be able to stand up on a stage and talk. And it's funny because when I when I was in undergrad and I thought, well, I don't want to be a performer. Well, you actually are because you're a public speaker, getting up in front of people and leading a group of people through what is going to happen. And it's funny because writing rehearsal reports, everybody out there who knows what a rehearsal report is in theater, where you have to dictate every single minutia of everything that happens in a rehearsal room to people that are not present. And I wrote about this in my TED talk, that you have it, it has to feel and sound as if that person is sitting in that room and can s get the sensory experience from your writing. You have to be so good at that. And I, and that was something when I was at Illinois at the, in the beginning, I mean, it was like you worked on so many shows that I think I wrote like 500 rehearsal reports or something when I was at Illinois, literally, I wrote so many and I thought I have to get good at this because I keep doing it and I keep seeing the same mistakes and they made you do it over and over and over for a reason and basically that helped my writing and I didn't know at the time that, that was that was really helping my writing and really helping me speak to people that were not in the room through that I basically decided that I didn't mind public speaking I mean I, you know there, there's there's this statistic that says that people are more afraid of public speaking than death and they'd rather you know they, they would be horrified getting up in front of a group of people speaking. That isn't me. I, I, I mean, I like, I don't mind speaking in front of people. If, if something happened and I had to get up in front of a restaurant and say, okay, everybody listen up. I don't, I, I just, I don't mind it. You know, I don't mind it. And so 
it was, I'm trying to, to trace back when I really got into TED Talks. I think I was in Los Angeles when TED was becoming a big deal. And I started watching these and I found them so fascinating. I mean, they, they're just, they're so well done. And the opinions of people and the expertise of people, you just, you just learn so much in 20 minutes or 15 minutes or 10 or however long you watch it for. And as I was watching these, I really thought that no one had done anything about theater degrees and how we're talking about right now on this, this podcast, how important the skills you learn in theater are to your everyday life and how to transition out of theater into other avenues that use the same skill sets. I mean, no one talks about that. I got really fascinated with writing something that would speak to that sort of audience that had gone through what we had gone through or that didn't quite understand how versatile the skills of a theater degree are and what they, how they can benefit you because people say, well, a theater degree doesn't do anything for you. Well, I don't believe that that's true at all. I think it's one of the best degrees you can get. So long story short, I went and wrote a pitch two years ago, submitted, I met someone here, a TED speaker, and she kind of coached me through the application process. And I said, I really want to do a TEDx. I said, I think I should do one just to have it on my resume and talk about this topic. So she told me about the process. She said, it's very rigorous. I think I submitted about 60 applications and two universities came back. And it was uh, Bellarmine University in Louisville that accepted the application. And then I went, oh, my gosh, I have to write a speech. <laughs> I was literally like, great, you're in. And now you have to write a 15-minute speech. And I went, oh, gosh, okay, well, I have, like, two months to do this. I have to do it and memorize it and everything. And so that's how I did it. And it was it was one of the most amazing experiences of my life. And I would do it all over again. I mean, I would I would love to do another TEDx. I think it, they're just so much fun and you get this credential that basically puts you on the map as a TEDx speaker. I never even thought that was possible until now, you know, but that's kind of how I got into it. And now I, I wrote a speech. I got on a stage. I did TEDx. I'm on YouTube. Like, you know, that was it. I, and I had no idea that was coming until I thought something, and it was arts. It's like, that was the, that was the catalyst for me doing that was talking about the arts and my background in it. Why did you come up with the topic? Where did the topic come from in the first place of theater kids using their skills in other industries? You, I know just because we've had this conversation, you've done a ton of work in other industries, just freelance. Yeah. I think it was out of my passion for people not understanding how important the arts are. I think there's a, remember those Wells Fargo, I have to bring this up for a second. Can I say Wells Fargo? On yeah. Here? Yeah. Okay. Those ads they ran that said, you can be an actress or you should actually really go to school and be a doctor because an actress is not going to pay you. There was a big uproar with these Wells Fargo ads that were kind of demeaning towards the arts and they pulled them. I think that, that message sparked me to say, why doesn't anybody get up and say how important the arts are and that the education you get in a, at a, with a theater degree is just as important because you learn, you learn the same skills in communication. You learn the same skills in media and journalism. I mean, you, you learn basically the same skills. Mm -hmm. 
And I really got passionate about that. And I, I don't think enough people talk about it. So that's kind of where the idea came from is, and, and I, I'm um, involved in the Philharmonic here as, you know, a supporter in Las Vegas. And I, you know, support the ballet. I've always supported the arts and for people to not understand. And for someone like me, who has basically, I don't work in theater anymore. I work in corporate events and writing and speaking that, that arts education gave me the career I have now. That was the reason why I can sit here and say, I'm going through the COVID year. See, I haven't used the, the, the numbers. We're not supposed to recite anymore. I'm just calling it the COVID year. Eric says, don't say the numbers. Don't say the four numbers. I'm just going to say the COVID year. So I don't jinx it. <laughs> so it's like the Scottish play. You just don't say it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but it was, you know, it was that arts education that made me be able to sit here and do what I do and go through this year with ideas of doing other things. I mean, that's where that came from. It came from my arts education. It came from the experiences I had in those seven years of, of really working hard and figuring out who I was and figuring out that I did have all these skills. And let's, let's just point that out real quick. An MFA is three years of work. An MFA is not one year. It is not a year and a half. It is not part-time. This is three years of your life which I don't think people recognize someone at work. I just put MFA at the end of my like signature and someone at work brought it up and, uh, and they're like, well, if people don't understand what it's for, then it's not for them. And while I agree with that, I also wish that everyone who looked at that and said, Oh, I wonder what that is. I could just have a pop-up saying, this is a three-year degree of her life where she spent meeting deadlines and organizing projects and, leading teams like I wish I wish I could help everyone understand what that really means because I don't think anybody does yeah so the the MFA is what my mentor in college when I was applying to schools for the master's program he said Claire this weeds out the week this is not for everybody and you will know you will know soon how strong you are because this this is going to be tough. And I heard it. I went, oh, yeah, he, it's going to be hard. I know. I get it. My first year at Illinois was one of the roughest years of my youth because it was literally they don't care. They say, you want to learn how to do this? You want to graduate with a Master of Fine Arts degree? You want this to be a terminal degree that you can go on and say, I understand how to basically put together something from nothing. That's really what an MFA is for technical theater. You put together something from nothing. And I went in there my first year and I literally thought, I don't know how I'm going to survive two more years of this. This is like, I mean, you get up in the morning, you go to school, you go to work, you have an assistant ship. They work you from 7 a.m. until 10 o'clock at night. You go home and guess what? You have to study. And that was, that was the thing. It was like, when am I going to fit in my study time? I think that was the hardest thing. I don't know about, about anyone else, but I, I, it was the studying because you were always on all the time and you didn't have time to go away by yourself. And 
up and, you know, really study what you learned, you have to save that on the weekends. I mean, I, you know, you don't have a life in it when you're doing your MFA. If you really apply yourself, it's three years of basically being in the theater army camp, as I, as I like to say, like, that's, that's what it essentially is. But when you graduate, and, and by the third year, I mean, you've got this down. You're like, eh, with a senioritis, I, I know what this is. I know what this is. But when you leave, you go, oh, I mean, there's still things you're, you're always learning, but you're, you go, oh, I get this now. Like, I understand why they worked me so hard because you leave and you, you don't work as hard, but you work hard and you understand what that's like instead of just getting out of a program where they, where they don't work you, work you, work you and going, this is, this is foreign territory to me. You graduate with an MFA and you go to work and you can work because you know what that's like. That was, that was it for me. Like that really was worth the three years of little sleep and little time off and really, you know, really getting firsthand the, the tangible experience. And that's why I say Illinois is a great school. If anybody listening is thinking about an MFA program, Illinois is literally one of the best. And having Cranart as the event venue, I mean, that just builds so much experience that you're not going to get in most places. Whether undergrad, graduate, you're just not going to get that event house experience in so many different schools. So that really does help. It does help that experience and that growth while you're in school. Yeah. And you said you brought up Cranart Center. That was really what got me interested in events. Because Craner operated as an event. They they did that guitar festival, which was really an event festival. And that got me, that sparked my interest in in events because I understood how they worked. And I understand I understood what what it took to put an event together, which is not an easy feat by any means. So I got that experience as well, which was great. When you were applying to jobs for convention work and for events management, did you feel like you had to translate your theater experience or did you feel like the theater experience really was the equivalent to the events work? Did you have to translate experience or language or any of those things? That's a really good question. Um, I, the convention industry, a lot of the people in that industry come from a hospitality background or they come from a meeting planner certification program or they are in the food and beverage industry or they're in sales or they're in, you know, the hotel service industry. They come from that resort and hospitality life. Theater people that go into corporate events and even hotel sales are very hard to pinpoint. And I'll come out and say it when I go, oh, you have a theater background. And people go, oh, you didn't come from, you didn't come from a hospitality, you know, sales hotel background. No, I, I didn't. And um, I actually appreciate show flow a lot more. I shouldn't say than other people in the industry, but when when a client sits in a room and says, I've got this act and I've got these speakers and I've got these videos and I have these slides and I have, you know, these people and all these mics are going back and forth and all of these things are happening on the screens. 
I don't know how to do this. I don't know what makes sense. That's the phrase that you hear. I don't know what makes sense. That's when I go, oh, I get it. Because you're telling a story and you're, you're being theatrical with the elements that you have. It doesn't matter. I mean, if you're showing a five minute video and then you're showing a PowerPoint presentation with a guy and a clicker on stage, that's a show. I I am 100% certain that that is a show. It's not just a thing. They call them talking heads Mm -hmm. in the, in the, in the business, putting a talking head on stage with a clicker advancing slides is a show. It's a, it's a presentation, yes, but if it fits within your event, if it is part of the narrative that you're telling, it's part of your show. And I love, the thing that I love about that is that it, it, I like it when people have questions about, I don't know what makes sense or where should I put this or where should I put that? Where does this video go? Where does this person walk on stage? That's what we've done. That's what I've done for the past 18 years is doing doing just that. And that's the part where theater really enhances working in conventions or at CES, for example, how is the audience going to experience this exhibit? What part should they see first? How often should the video come on? How often should so-and-so get up on stage and talk about what they just saw? How do you do that? You know, how do you make that fit? And I, that's where I, that's where I think it's to my advantage. And even if I said that to someone who didn't know I was, had a theater background, even saying to them, what is the show flow going to be? That already says that they, um, that's, that already says to them that I understand what they want. And it even translates into parties that are not necessarily shows, but, you know, experiences here, put people in a ballroom and there's a dinner and you time when the entree is being set and when the person gets up on stage and does their talk and when they go to cocktail hour, what, how, how that flows, it's still a show. And that's, that's a very, very great thing for me to say, because I get it. You get it. You ha- you understand what, what the narrative is and what you're supposed to, what, what you're supposed to say to the audience or guests like a lot of stage managers i know who've gone into um wedding planning mm-hmm. a de- event coordinator for weddings day of coordinators it's that same concept they walk in the room who sits where how do you like it's all the same stuff yeah and that's the thing is in the case of theater or music or ballet or whatever it is you're storytelling and you're giving people an experience and all of the work that goes in ahead of time is to create that moment. And it doesn't matter what setting you're in, you can still create moments like that. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what we do. That's the cool thing is that we create moments. Moments that people can take away with them. And you can say, I was a part of their experience. Because really experiences are what shape us and experiences are really the only things that we take with us besides i mean stuff is irrelevant it's all the experience because you remember you take the memories with you and you'll always say oh i remember the show that i saw i mean even in like 
I'm sure you two know, I mean, you, you've seen a show or a play and you go, wow, that was really, that was, that really hit me or it did something to me or it made me, it made me appreciate something or I, I remember how I felt when I left. Oh, it's the end of the crucible every time for me. And, <laughs> and I love watching everyone else in the audience as they silently lose it. I love it. Is that terrible? <laughs> no, and there are definitely certain productions in my mind and even shows that I've been in or that I've seen multiple times when you see like a certain production that's directed or presented in a certain way that's a little bit different and then all of a sudden something that you didn't catch on to before makes sense or something you know you you get a new feeling that you hadn't felt before when you've experienced this show otherwise I mean, those are the amazing things, these little tiny things and these moments that you can create even from a piece that's, you know, the script is there, the score is there, the choreography is there, uh, but depending on who's performing and who's directing and who's backstage, who's lighting, who's, you know, what the set looks like, all of these things come together and form a new experience every time. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We're in the business of making experiences. Mm -hmm. We keep mentioning the year that shall not be named, but you've done a really good job this year of staying engaged and staying active and staying, keeping up work. Can you talk a little bit about the work you've been doing, how you've been finding it and how you've been translating your, your event skills into that new work? That's a good question because a lot of people I think listening to this are struggling in, in some way or another. And it's, it's real. I mean, the, scr the struggle for the arts right now is it, let's not sugarcoat it. It's, it's dire. I mean, it's, it's re it really is dire. And, you know, for me and the city of Las Vegas, it looks different right now. And the virtual event industry is going I haven't done a lot of virtual events this year, and I'll tell you why, just briefly. I have found that I can translate what I do differently than just work on, a, on virtual events. I don't want to always be known as the person that can just do virtual events. I didn't want to come into, you know, 2020. Oop, almost said it. I didn't want to come into the year. I didn't want to come year and say I only do virtual events and that's all I do I, I've never even been that person I've done so many things with my career I can't just sit here and say well I did virtual events and that's all I did I I can't say that you know and what I think really kind of opened a new door for me was writing and writing was not something that I thought I could ever get going and in enough places and do enough sort of interviews and podcasts to where I really could talk about my career. And now, now that all of this has happened where I can write and get published and I can't, because of, I mean, I think the TEDx for that, I mean, without the TEDx, I think I would not be able to do as much as I've been doing with making appearances on podcasts and talking about my career and, and writing in, in magazines, but really saying I've done all the, all of these things and now I need to figure out how to 
do something else and use what I've done and not just focus on one thing, but continue to diversify. And that was what my, my speech was about diversifying my skills and doing other things so that I'm not pigeonholed so that I'm not stuck in one area so that if things don't come back for another year, I can adapt or I can find another way to express myself. And it's, it's really great because I think speaking through social media is something that I didn't think I was very good at. And really it kind of, this, this year kind of taught me that that is important now because now everything is like this. You're talking on a podcast. It's more about your personality. People need to see you and people need to hear what you're about. I wanted to still speak to audiences because, you know, you produce events, you, you speak to audiences, you give audiences something. And if you can't do that right now, what are the other methods of communication that you can speak to an audience through? And to me, that was writing. It was social media. It was speaking. It was telling people about my journey because, you know, I built a career mostly on working as an independent contractor and working as a, someone who is a free agent taking on clients and working with other companies really as a, as a sole proprietor. And I, and I'm very blessed and grateful to be sitting here saying that at 38 years old to say that I built my life on working independently and I get to have a home office that I think is now the new narrative. And with remote working, I know how to talk about that with people not understanding how to, some people haven't worked from home before. That's something that I can talk about. Some people don't know, you know, where to start when they trying to figure out what the next step is if they've been laid off, if they have been in the same job. I know people that have been in the same job for 20 years that got laid off last year. And what do you do? Where do you go? I want to help in that regard. And I want to tell people that there's a way, there's a way to do it. And it doesn't, it, and it's not a way that is one way. There's no one way to really make a living anymore. There was now, I don't think that's existing, but I basically I've taken what I know already know how to do and continue to do that in many different ways doesn't mean I'm done with events. I'm not. I'm absolutely not done with production. There's so much more that needs to happen. But you have to be able to take what you've done and say, I, if I, all of that's gone, like the stage and the audience, the tangible things that are gone are taken, are taken away from me, they're non-existent, what am I left with? And for me, it was the writing and the speaking and the, the social media and really the marketing, the branding, you know, people in production are very much marketing people. We get it. You put on an event, you understand marketing. You understand the corporate message. You understand what you're saying to an audience. That's that's marketing. This is so great. I love everything you're saying and you're it's almost like you're quoting directly like some of the things we've said and talked about before. This is why we love you. This is why we brought you on because we have this, <laughs> we have this really similar mindset in this, which is so great. And that you can adapt and bring the things that you love with you. And I love you talked about stripping away these expectations, you know, the audience and the stage and the venue and then what's left. And there's still so much left there that you can take with you and apply in other places. And I just love 
that idea and that narrative because it's so true. I believe it wholeheartedly. It's exactly what I did. I have a similar story myself, and and then Beth did the same thing. We have slightly different paths, but we we took this the same tools. We did the same thing, that stripping away and finding the core of what you love and just applying it in new places. And it's so important to me that people see that that's okay and you can find fulfillment and be successful in that. Absolutely. And there's nothing wrong with doing a lot of things. If there's anything that I am such an advocate about, and if someone argues with me on this, I'll just say, you know what? I don't believe it. I don't believe in doing one thing. I don't believe in that. I believe in doing a lot of different things well, and I believe that that's a, that is possible, and you don't have to do one thing for 50 years of your life. I, I, yeah. You don't. I, I would get bored, <laughs> to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. I would get very bored. And growing up as a theater, and you probably feel the same way, growing up in a theater education, you are exposed to so many different things, so many different things. And you have to be adaptable in so many different environments, too. I think this is a good opportunity for people in the arts and people that have come from an arts background who are kind of saying, where do I go from here? What do I do? I think you have the answer and I think you have kind of an idea of what you really want to do and you can be creative now. You know, Amy, we were talking about the creative, creative problem solving. What do you do? What do you do now with your creativity? There's so many things you can do. I'm not saying I I have it all figured out. I don't. But earlier last year, it was like, well, what am I going to do with myself? Like, what am I going to, how, how am I going to get out of this? And, and I just thought, well, you're a creative person. You got, you have a background in creativity. Be creative. I mean, you don't need, you don't need a bucket full of money. You don't need a ton of resources. And I, I truly believe that things work out. If you really try, if you try something, I really do believe in that. If you try something and you put your mind to it and you be creative and you use the talents that you have, things happen. Even in the darkest year that the arts is going through and the people who I'm talking, we're all talking to right now that are sitting there going, I don't know what I'm going to do. Things will be okay, but be creative. This is the time to be creative. And And I really think a lot of, some of the greatest ideas we're going to see from people in the arts are going to come out of this year. I really think we're going to see some cool things from people who are really trying to, to tap into what their, their next move is and say, I, I see, I see something that is needed here. I mean, you know, the entrepreneurs, we need more entrepreneurs in the arts. We really do. Yes. Did either of you see Ratatouille TikTok, the musical? No. Yes. <laughs> it's so it's going to lead me into another thought, I promise. It wasn't the most <laughs> polished, pretty thing I've ever seen. It was literally a musical composed on TikTok. People just like having fun, and then it turned into a thing. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, it was very cool. They raised money for the Actors Fund. Um, I, I need to look this up. Definitely. So on one hand, I'm like, okay, not the prettiest thing I've ever seen. But... I love the concept that they came up with, and I also love that it's building into something new 
and they didn't feel the need that they had to be perfect because the first time you do anything, you're not, as long as you're bringing your full self with you, you're going to learn, you're going to grow, and that's winning. It doesn't need to be perfect the first time, which I think a lot of us have a problem with. It's the same thing with writing. If you ask any writer, they'll probably tell you, I'm not a good writer, because the first draft is always garbage. Always. It's never good. Literally never good. And then you go back and edit and you rewrite and you move things around and you add things and subtract things until finally you get to the heart of what you were trying to say. But it takes a lot of drafts and a lot of work. It sure does. But you have to get it down first. You have to get it down on paper first before you can make it better. You said it. You have to get it down first. You just have to say it's going to be in fact, I, ha- I mentioned that in, a, in an article I'm writing that's going to come out soon in my Vegas magazine. I kind of I hint at that, that very concept. You have to have something down before you can have something great. Right. And the thing you put down, a writer's, what do they say? A writer, the writer, a writer or a filmmaker, their favorite scene eventually ends up on the editing floor or something like that. Like the thing that they really wanted in there is really the throwaway scene. I hear that all the time, but it, I, a friend of mine last year was, I said to a friend of mine, he's a really good writer. And I said, I'm not that good of a writer. And he said, well, everybody can be a better writer. Everybody can be better. doesn't mean that you're not. I said, yeah, it's true. True. Everything is learnable. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. If there is one thing that you could leave our audience with one thing that they should take into this new year to continue using their creativity and growing, what would be that one thing? Don't jump ship. Don't, don't jump ship yet. I don't think it's worth it. I thought about jumping ship many times this past year and going, eh, I'll do something completely different. Now that I sit here, the more and more I thought about doing that, the more I say to myself, it's not worth it. You just have to ride the storm. You have to ride the storm. And I think coming out of this will be worth it. I figure if anyone can get through an arts degree or a BFA or an MFA or whatever it is, you've shown so much dedication at that point. I mean. You said it, Amy. (laughs) Say that again. Say that louder for the people in the back. Yeah, art school puts you through the ringer. And if you come out the other side and you still want to do it, then do it. And that's what makes the community strong. That's what makes artists and the performing arts community so amazing. Um, And that's, that's what gives us the amazing skills that we have that whether it's, you know, just for now or something a little bit more permanent or whether you're trying to balance several things, you have the skills to do whatever you want, wherever you want, whenever you want. You sure do. And if anybody is listening to this and their kids want to go to theater school, let them go. <laughs> I, I just, just give them a chance. If anybody's like, Oh, I don't think my kids should go to school for theater. Just give it a chance and see, see what kind of people they turn out to be. Just, you know, my advice 
working for the government for the last three years, I can absolutely tell you that I need more artists in my government job. Right. Yes. <laughs> I need more of you. Go get a theater degree. Then you don't have to work in a cubicle anymore because we're all sent home. So no one works in office. That's right. That's right. Cubicle life is rough, but. Oh, yeah. I've been there. <laughs> Very rough. Yeah. But home <laughs> office, not too bad. No. Uh, I can't think of a better way to work. Much better. Yeah, it's nice when you can still cuddle with your dogs and get work done simultaneously. It's good for production and productivity, I think. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much. I think this was awesome. I had a great time. I had a great time, too. Thank you for having me. This was great. I'm, I'm very honored to be a part of this, and I'm glad that we all connected. It's, it, thing, things happen for a reason. Thank you so much. These conversations with you are always so great, and I really appreciate your time. Thank you for joining us today on Out of the Arts Podcast. If you have questions or want to see specific content, please leave a comment or email podcast at outofthearts.com. See you next time. And until then, we are rooting for you.